This is going to be a little bit longer open than normal, but I, I think we have to do it when we're dealing with the moms of two players. That's right. That we're, we're showing right now that we all know and love Mr. Bainter and Mr. Lipsky. Okay, so for folks that don't know, uh, there was a video uh, from <laughs> Springfield Athletics this weekend or this week where. Nick Boehner and his roommate Jeremy Lipsky uh, sort of told their story. There, it, it's kind of a love story of sorts, love of you know, bro love uh, story. <laughs> so we thought we would open this week's show with a little discussion with their mothers because, I mean, we, we can't do it without moms. Right. This is Mrs. Bainter. Yes. And it's what's your first name? Trisha. Trisha. And this is Mrs. Lipsky. Danielle. Danielle. <laughs> Danielle, you might remember last year photobombing <laughs> our uh, video on opening yeah, night. That was me. She's Nick's other mom. <laughs> so, ladies, uh, let's start with Mrs. Bainter. A lot of people have written in and told us what a character your son is. Uh, where does he get this from? <laughs> I have no idea. He's he's been that way ever since he was a little boy. He's been just like that. He's you know, uh, the life of the party. He's very funny, uh, you know, always trying to make everybody laugh and yeah. Was, was there really a point he was a little boy? Because <laughs> he was a little boy. He was this little, scrawny little boy. Uh, and uh, What did you feed him? <laughs> he ate a lot, actually. But uh, he, I'm he sure he yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. not so scrawny now. Yeah, Mrs. Lipsky, <laughs> your son is definitely the taller, uh, maybe more handsome one of the two, uh, some women would yeah, say. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might argue that one over here. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, when he first met Nick, what did he tell you about him? Oh, my God. It was literally a match made in heaven. That's how we describe it. I mean, exactly what they said on the video is exactly how it happened. Um, the two of them just connected, like, unbelievably. We always talk about it, how the stars aligned for those two. And we hit the roommate jackpot by, by, by you know, we and parents as well. Yeah, you know, this has so been a great close, journey very for, close. for all, all of us, think, families. Yeah. Um, it's been unbelievable. Now but has, we do want to set the record straight. Go ahead, because go ahead. I'm sorry. We have yet to see either one of them really do their own freaking laundry. Sorry. Oh, I don't know where wait, 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 wait. Time out. You're saying that you both do their laundry. Oh. Not now, but not now. Well, not so much most now. Of, uh, sophomore, uh, freshman and sophomore year, definitely. A little bit different. Maybe, maybe by junior year they started doing some on their own. And Jeremy's girlfriend definitely helps out with the laundry. But okay, we have to see Nick and Jeremy actually do their own laundry or clean for that matter. We're gonna. So. Uh, but I will say Nick does not do laundry <laughs> or clean. Okay, we're gonna talk to Brian McGoffin about truth and advertising uh, on the uh, Springfield website because obviously that's not true. Now we we got that. Uh, have you ever gotten a call from Coach Sarazulo, maybe concerned about you know the guys and what they're up to at any point in time? No, I've never gotten a call. No, have you? Nope. No. Nope. They're like the golden boys, yeah. those two. Yeah. They did try to separate them briefly during preseason, junior year. That did not go over well. Yeah. Were there tears? Yes. There were a lot of commotion, a lot of tears. Um, the, the other coaches were kind of shaking their head, and Coach C said, just do whatever the heck you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't separate them. Yeah. I remember it was when, impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I remember when Nick first found out Jeremy was his roommate. He was like, I remember him coming to me and going, Mom. He's like a man. He's not even a kid. I, I don't He's understand this. He's a man. Now, I, I've got one question, though. Why is Nick not photobombing this video exactly? Because he's probably ready to kill both of us, yeah, actually. He's not happy that I'm doing this. Yeah, my, my okay. He didn't want well, me to do this. Well, so, you know, we normally give the player guests shout-outs at the end of the interviews, as you probably have seen us do. Yeah. It's time for the moms to give some shout-outs. Yeah. So, Mrs. Boehner, go ahead. Your shout-outs. <laughs> well, shout-out to my son. Uh... I love Hi, him. Nick. I'm so proud of Nick. I'm very proud of Nick. Everything he does makes me so proud. But I would shout out to our other moms, uh, Dana 
Amy, uh, and the dads. The dads are great, supportive. Um, Danielle? <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to my entire family who yes, is so supportive. We had quite a few here today and they continue to support Jeremy unbelievably during his journey. And uh, shout out to my son, uh, number 72. I'm so proud of you. And uh, this has been a fantastic journey. And yeah. grateful every day that he's here at Springfield. Can I ask you one special shout out? to my co-host James Baker who will love yes. this video. Yes. But it, 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 do you think he's you cut, Do you think he's more handsome than me though? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll okay. have to see him in person. We'll talk about this we offline. We see him in person now. Well, hey. But you guys are great. You do a great job. Thank but you so ladies, much. Ladies, thank you very much. We thank appreciate you, you and so your much. sons. Yes. Come on, Jerry. Uh, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> long way away. Okay, give your mom a hug. Oh, you're lucky. Oh. Nick, yeah. wherever you are. Oh, yeah. he, love he you. Yeah, he's over there. I love you too. <laughs> that's awesome that was probably one of the all-time best interviews in the history of in the auto frank nick didn't see the video nick, nick would not come around <laughs> i don't know what was going on there he's a little bit upset maybe he either wanted the spotlight or was afraid his mom was gonna throw him under the bus about something she didn't either she was awesome about laundry uh, there was a little there was a little stuff going on about laundry which i can relate to because in a, in a house with five teenagers, guess who's doing all the laundry? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> well, uh, one thing uh, I, I do have to remind myself, uh, while the hug was a nice effect by Lipsky, um, I need to make sure that I don't put my head first into a shoulder pad again because that's the grounds for concussion later on. That didn't Oof, feel yeah. great, but we rolled with it. And uh, nonetheless, that's just the start of week seven of In the Huddle. Okay, so let's get back to Earth here uh, a little bit. Uh, we'll have interviews from that uh, game coming up. Uh, you'll want to see uh, that around the second half of this show. But, you know, we have to tell you about what happened in the week in the first place. I mean, that's what we do here yeah. in this host chat that's show. That's what we do. Yeah, or at least that's what we try to do, I guess. Uh, JB, again, uh, as the bottom line says here today, uh, not many close games as conferences separate. Uh, you know, even looking for clips this week, we went to a lot of first touchdowns just to show the momentum start because a lot of teams yeah. grabbed that lead and didn't look back. Uh, but there were some good games along the way. That Cortland-Alfred game, if it wasn't for the special teams, that wouldn't have been a uh, really 10-point uh, game for Cortland. It probably would have been a game possibly for Alfred. So you know what? Yeah. We talked about the three aspects of the, the game of football, special teams. Indeed. Yeah, um, this this weekend was interesting, Frank. It sort of was a, sort of an oddball in that there was only eight games kicking off at noon, and then there was like this huge block at 2 o'clock, one of which that you attended in person um, out at Kings Point. Uh, sort of a later start and some kind of wacky things happened. Um, I think there were about five or six shutouts, uh, like you said, some lopsided scores. In the, in the prior uh, show, I mentioned that this was kind of a semifinal round, and it was pretty clear who who came out <laughs> the winners on, on those semifinals. So in week nine, we have, I think, about four or five um, big matchups starting to shape up. 
this weekend we have a big matchup starting to shape up in, in the MASCAC, which we'll get to a little later on in the show. But yeah, um, separation Saturday definitely happened in week seven. Let's tell everybody about it. We do that with these 34 games, 60 of which we have video clips for uh, coming up in wow. crunch time for week seven. Unusually, we're going to start in New York uh, this go-around. We'll start in the Empire 8. We were just talking about that Cortland-Alfred game, 31-21 in favor of Cortland. But early on, let's talk about Cole Burgess. First, the 84-yard kickoff return to make it a 7-7 game. And then, early in the second quarter, I believe it was, Burgess blocks this kick. And I believe Dylan Strader was the uh, person that returns it for TD to make it 14-7. And honestly, Cortland didn't look back uh, in that game. They win 31-21. Uh, Alfred outgained Cortland 4-16-221. That's the irony. Again, it, it was the special teams that really did it. We'll have an interview with Brett Sagala coming up uh, later on in the week. But uh, you watch this game uh, a little bit closely. And uh, Cortland, the three facets of the game, like we were saying, coming into this. Yeah, um, and you know this this is sort of tipping tipping the hand a little bit, but in our conversation with uh, with Brett, he did mention that you know Alfred's game plan uh, and they did execute it pretty well. I mean, they had Griffin rush for over 200 yards. Uh, they had they held the ball for over 36 minutes. They tried to keep that Cortland uh, explosive offense on the sideline, and they did for for most of the game. Uh, but you know the Dragons, you got to give them credit. Uh, you know, in a must-win situation, they made enough plays. Uh, both on offense, defense, and special teams to get the win. And, uh, yeah, they remain in the driver's seat with a kind of on a collision course with Brockport in a couple weeks. Uh, we, in that interview, also discussed Morrisville State, who shocks Utica 54-51 in double overtime. You're seeing the touchdown by Kenzie Williams. That was the walk-off touchdown in double overtime by Morrisville yep. State. Congratulations to them. And St. John Fisher, 49, Hartwick, 21. St. John Fisher's offense with 572 total yards and basically 21 and answer points scored Wait. Uh, twice in that game. Uh, so Wait, they, right. they were. I thought Hart, I, mean, I thought Hartwick played uh, Brockport this weekend. Was that? I'm just I'm just teasing. Oh wow! Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it happens, buddy. It happens. Yeah, go over listen to around these if you want to hear what we're talking about. Lots of game, lots of games. Sometimes. Yeah, Liberty League. Let's go to that next. Union and St. Lawrence were tied at 17 at halftime. Yeah. It took this play. Bellamy, looking to the far side with Ross Jr. who runs under it and has the ball. <laughs> the referee, touchdown, Andre Ross Jr. 9.50 or thereabouts left in the third quarter. The go-ahead touchdown, Andre Ross Jr. from Will Bellamy from 15 yards out. That made it 38-17. Event or that made it 24-17. Eventually, it was 38-17, is what he said. Uh, but Ik Erebor, I should know this by now. 25 rushes, 178 yards, and one touchdown. I want to say though, Tyler Groshot had over 300 yards passing at halftime for St. Lawrence, but he was shut down in the second half, obviously to make it 38 to 17. Buffalo State, still in the discussion here in the Liberty League a little bit because we're still early on. <laughs> Zach Chesky yep. to uh, Jordan Everett, 51 yard pass made it 13 to zero just before halftime. They win and beat Rochester 13 to seven 
And then let's also talk about Ithaca, number nine team of the nation, playing like it at home against Hobart, 34 to nothing, as Hobart was held to 201 total yards, and they had four sacks in Ithaca's defense, a forced fumble, first shutout for Hobart since when? 2000. Thousand, yeah, almost twenty years ago. Uh, actually, to Rochester, it was a fourteen nothing game uh, way back when. So I think the only regular season loss they had that year. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things, um, you know, scoreless first quarter. Uh, defenses were sort of flexing their muscles. There was a controversial uh, targeting call that um, ejected junior outside linebacker Emmett Ford. Uh, having watched the replays along with you know, yourself and, and uh, one of our ref friends of the, of the program, um, it, it was the right call ultimately, uh, but it certainly uh, seemed to affect Hobart's defensive play calling for the rest of the game. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you have to, to credit the, uh, you know, the statesman assassin, Joe Germanario. He's, he just, he has Hobart's numbers, beaten him three years in a row. And, um, you know, he, he made some plays at the line of scrimmage that really, uh, really helped Ithaca uh, score on a couple of key plays. And Hobart honestly kind of lost their composure at the end. And, um, you know, it's going to be a tough, uh, you know, tough week of uh, watching film and practice. But the Statesmen still have a lot to play for. Um, we heard from Tracy King from the Liberty League that the New York State Bowl is still around. So it's possible Hobart could be playing for a spot in that, either against a Cortland or maybe an Alfred, which would be a great matchup. Um, but they, you know, they still have three more games, chance maybe to go eight and two. Not the outcome they wanted, but you got to give it Ithaca credit. They uh, they called and played a, a great game, and, and you know, thirty-four nothing kind of speaks for itself. NJAC time. Uh, TCNJ is still in the conversation as well in the NJAC, and their defense is really showing up. Their offense might need to do something yeah. here because it was all special team scores in this game. Kane with the uh, field goal. But TCNJ yep. had a punt block uh, return for a touchdown. Tap blocked one kick so far. They bring the house again and they block it. And it's picked up for a TCNJ score. Second blocked punt of the afternoon. Joe uh, Champola uh, is the man who scores the touchdown that you're seeing. 7-3 to three, TCNJ. Uh, Kane outgained TCNJ 300 to 158 yards. Overall, just the offense combined was not much to talk about in that game. But still, yeah. TCNJ moves to two and one in the conference after that, and Kane as well two and one in the conference. Uh, Salisbury, number 12 team in the nation, 38. Rowan seven really failed to kick. Did Rowan in that game? It was uh, pretty much Salisbury, Salisbury early and often. Uh, Jack Lanham with 238 total yards. Uh, rushing and two yeah. passing touchdowns. Uh, so much for that triple option mentality uh, in Salisbury, which we know isn't really a true triple option after talking to Sherman Wood. Yeah, yeah, and I'm calling it. I'm calling it here, Frank. I mean, Salisbury are your uh, 2019 NJAC champs. Uh, wow. The rest of their schedule is, uh, it, you know, it's gonna. They're gonna have some some challenges for sure. But I, I feel like a nine and zero Salisbury team is, is they've got it locked in. Let's save that for later because we'll look at the standings and see what you mean by that. Uh, number yeah. 15, Wesley uh, over William Patterson, 45 to seven. Uh, they outgained uh, William Patterson, 543 to 230, as John Mullen went 23 for 32, 365, and three touchdowns in that game. Montclair, 24, Christopher Newport, zero, as the defense of Montclair held CNU to 135 total yards and just five first downs. Up next, the wow. Mac. And uh, let's start with Del Valle at Wilkes. It was not much of a game, 42 to zero. But let's look at Tamir yep. Barksdale's 64-yard punt return to make it 14 to zero halfway through the first quarter. 
that play probably is what really started things rolling the wrong way for Wilkes uh, in this game. 42-0, Coach Strzok on social media afterwards said this is where we kind of have to pick up and just learn from what yep. happened here, essentially paraphrasing him there. But uh, Wilkes was uh, outgained 383-100 to 100 in this game. Delaware Valley with five sacks, nine tackles for loss, and an interception. I should uh, also Quick tell you that. in here for DelVal. Um, with a win, if they win this Saturday, they will have broken the uh, the MAC record for consecutive win, conference wins. I think it's 26 in a row. So, you know, we uh, we weren't really sure what to make of the Aggies this offseason. They graduated a ton on defense and a lot on offense, too. So it's, it's almost a completely new team. But you got to really credit them. They Their coaching staff, and they're just – it's like they haven't missed a beat. So uh, here we go. I always call Brady Williams a ma- uh, magician. This game was not a magician's uh, work in terms of late scoring, but you're going to see a touchdown here where he looked like he was surely sacked. But tosses it 50 yards, Isaiah Williams, uh, for the uh, wow. touchdown. Ultimately, it's a 40-14 to 14 win by Misericordia. And, uh, you know – Anthony Caserta is still putting up some great passing yards here after you form, by the way. 366, yeah. two touchdowns, interception. The running back, Michael Gawlik, excuse me, with 275 yards rushing for Misericordia. So you put that Brady and Williams' wow. uh, special arm and winning abilities. And boy, be careful out there, Mac, because suddenly Misericordia is making statements now on top of those close games. This will be interesting to watch play out. Lebanon Valley, yep. 41. Widener, 35. Lebval trail 28 mm-hmm. to 14 at the half, but Widener again gives up one they probably should have had, and that's it's been that kind of up and yeah. down season for the Pride. Stevenson 55, Albright 7, tie game of the half at 7 to 7, 48 unanswered points in the second half by Stevenson. That's what does in Albright once again. And Alvernia hung with Kings for a while in the game between those yeah. teams. 35 to 28 Kings wins as the Monarchs led 35 to 14 early in the fourth quarter. But hey, Alvernia tried and give that team credit for not dying in that game. Uh, we'll give credit mm-hmm. to Jordan Downs, 29 rushes, 132 yards, and a touchdown for Kings. ECFC time. We'll go back to, uh, now to New England. And let's talk about Dean versus Anna Maria. Uh, Terrell Watts throwing to Errol uh, Bremi, I believe uh, is the uh, player's name. It's 28 yards for the touchdown, and it started the second half mm-hmm. for Dean to go up 27 to seven. That pretty much was lights out at that point. Eventually, a 41 to 20 win. Watts efficient, 20 for 27, 252, four passing wow. and one rushing touchdown, and uh, the uh, interception and forced fumble. Sack, eight tackles for loss for the Dean defense. That was an all-around effort by the Dean Bulldogs. A little surprised by this one? Yeah, a little bit. I thought the I thought the MCATs might be um, a little more game with the you know, the homecoming crowd and the momentum from the win over Alfred State. But yeah, I mean uh, Terrell Watts with a really impressive performance, and yeah, the Bulldogs are. Um, they look like the team to beat in the ECFC, but there is a, a, a team down in D.C. that will have a, a word to say about that because they also put up a ton of offense uh, last Saturday. Let's look at that. Gallaudet Bison at 62, Alfred State 41. 623 total, yard, total yards. I can't even talk about it. I'm so excited about this number <laughs> by uh, Gallaudet. 623. Yeah, and uh, R.J. Randall, 14 rushes, 249 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, Timo Benton, 
15 rushes, 154 yards, and five touchdowns. You're seeing uh, the Benton score in the play uh, on the video that you're seeing right now if you're watching us. And SUNY Maritime, 21, Castleton, 3. As uh, the time of possession went definitely into SUNY Maritime's column, 35 or 36 to 24, basically. And his uh, Hezekiah Williamson, 22 rushes, 118 yards, one touchdown. The ECFC, aside from Gallaudet, is a mess right now, and Dean doesn't qualify. So Gallaudet has a lead, yeah. but there's a lot to be said still with the three league games to go for these teams. In the yep. CCC, this is a great game, and it should have been. We knew coming in it would be a good game. Western New England, 38, Salve Regina, 31. Alec Coleman, yeah. we're showing him with the three-yard touchdown run that made it 38-24. Moriello, though, did respond, and there was still a chance for Salve Regina in this game until Ricky Montalvo intercepts uh, to seal the game with 132 left. You're seeing that as well. The teams combined for over 1,000 yards. Coleman, 330 total yards, three passing, and one rushing touchdown in this game. They are still undefeated against Division Three. don't forget, is Western New England. Hudson, though, wow. We were talking about a University of New England looking for a signature win. Here it is. They beat Hassan on the road. 31-21. Brian Peters finding Kobe Johnson for the 66-yard touchdown pass made it 17-14, and they really never looked back in the game after that. 31-21 final. They did trail 14-10 at the half before that touchdown we just talked about. Endicott pouring it on as well. 61-34 over Curry. Endicott led 35-14 at the half. Joe Koloski, four touchdowns, 319 passing yards. No more in the huddle jinx, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, he did have the week <laughs> off, so I guess he rested up just in yeah. case we were that jinx. And Nichols, yep. 40. Becker, 17, as Nichols scores 21 unanswered points in the second half. Michael Peanuts, uh, 268 passing yards and two touchdowns, led the way for Nichols. Let's up next go to the Mascac. And we'll have a Framingham State guest coming on this week, but we'll tell you more about that later as Framingham State beats Plymouth State 34-0. You're seeing Adam Wojcinski pass Emmanuel Exelholm, excuse me, uh, for 17 yards and a touchdown to make it 7-0. We we're just showing you the first touchdown because that's where the momentum started and never let up, folks. Yeah, they outgained Plymouth State. 470 to 53. I'm just shocked by the lopsidedness of this game. Plymouth State is better than this. Yeah, and the, and they beat the Rams the last two years running. So we knew that we knew the Rams, you know, had this game circled on their calendar. But boy, I mean, the 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 defense really uh, dominated and um, kept a you know, Plymouth State team, which you know, players like David Hamilton and other guys that normally rack up a lot of yards and points just. I don't know. They just couldn't get it going, but uh, credit the Rams. They, they continue to control their destiny in the Mascac. Credit Joshua Anajogo, uh, who will be joining us at uh, the defensive end. He's a junior. Uh, he's got a year left uh, for Framingham State with six tackles and three sacks in the game. Uh, he will uh, be in our player. We'll have two player interviews uh, this week, again, layered into one episode later in the week. So stay tuned for that. Let's talk about WestCon as well, though. We've talked about putting up points, 62 to 28 over Westfield State. Let's see David James finding Chris Pascal. James in the pocket, throws long, throws deep, Pascal! Touchdown, hello end zone! Touchdown, Colonials! A 29-yard pass, David James to Chris Pascal. 
a 29-yard touchdown, 13-0, with 8.15 left in the first quarter, and they never looked back. They outgained Westfield State 588-377. Mass Maritime 37, Fitchburg State 0. I mean, another shutout in the Mass Cat there as Matt Long had 245 total yards, four total touchdowns in the game, and Bridgewater State 56, Mass Dartmouth 20, probably the upset of the conference uh, this uh, day yeah. that we're talking about. It's Stefano D'Amelia at 398 uh, yards to, uh, total, five passing, three rushing touchdowns. So he accounted for eight, eight touchdowns. touchdowns. <laughs> wow. Incredible. And yeah. that is the MASCAC for you. Let's talk about the new Mac. I attended the game between Springfield and Merchant Marine, and little did I know that the triple option matchup would take as long as it did because they wouldn't stop scoring, for goodness sake, in those first three quarters of play. But we're looking at Tim Callahan's long touchdown to start the second quarter. This was key because it made it an 11-point game again, and they never could tie this game. They got within eight uh, late, but Merchant Marine could never get on top. Springfield wins it. 45-34. Christian Abbott was 18 for 31 passing for 374 31. passing yards. Yeah. 31 attempts? Yeah. This is, a, tri it. This is a triple option troop group? Not so much, my friend. 31. Two wow. touchdowns, one interception, but Callahan had three touchdowns on the ground, including the one that you saw. Let's look at WPI. Their first touchdown uh, with 11.47 left in the first quarter was a 22-yard touchdown from Julian Nyland to Clark Ewan. We always talk about uh, Field and uh, McAllen on the ground there, but you know Julian Nyland's got an arm, and there it is as he found you in a uh, very tough position in the end zone. Gets it for the touchdown, 52-24. WPI remains undefeated at six and zero. They led 42 to 10 at the half and kind of just took their foot off the accelerator in that game. Coast Guard 33, Maine Maritime 8. As Ryan Jones. Not drinking from the mug, but definitely drinking something good uh, down there as he would throw us for 26 for 34, 353 passing yards and three touchdowns. Just one interception for him. They outgained Mass or Maine Maritime 463 to 283. And that leaves us with the NESCAC, which had maybe some of the most exciting and most important action of the weekend. First, we're going to talk about Wesleyan and Middlebury. Middlebury wins the game 45-21, but the lights out moment was before halftime with 3.43 left. Maxwell Ride receives an 80-yard touchdown pass from Will Jernigan as the defender just peeled off of Maxwell Rye, and it was nothing but green between him and the end zone for that 80-yard touchdown to make it 24-7 before halftime. There's no way they were going to recover from that one, Wesleyan. And Middlebury's in great control now at 6-0 in the NESCAC. But how about the heartwarming game? Go ahead. You're calling that one, too? We'll talk about it later. Yep. Middlebury are your 19, uh, 2019 NESCAC champs. You heard it here first. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the uh, very surprising result uh, in the Amherst game. Amherst had a lead yeah. late. It, it touched down and two-point conversion, which was a close call. Made it 28-28 in this game. Amherst had the ball back, but then, you're watching it, the punt block. It is blocked! The Continentals block it! The Continentals block the punt! And then that was followed by this play. It's on its way, it's got distance, and he got it! They wow. win this game on a 40-yard walk-off field goal by Sam Maureen, 31-28. Hamilton moves to 3-3. Three three. This is a great season for them when you think about it. Hamilton has been a no-show in the NESCAC for a little while, and now they're beating teams yeah, like NESCAC, or, uh, like Amherst, excuse me, in the NESCAC. 
Yeah, and I think I heard on I think I heard uh, either Keith or Pat on Around the Nation say this is the first time Continentals have beaten Amherst since like '92. I mean, that's I that was my it. freshman year of college. That's a long time ago. <laughs> Let's not go there. Ancient. Trinity. Let me just keep going. Trinity forty-three, uh, Colby seven. As Trinity moves to two and uh, four and two, Colby zero oh and six. They outgained Trinity uh, four. Out, Trinity outgained Colby. He said four eighty to two sixty-eight. Uh, Williams thirty-five, Bates seven. Uh, Bobby M with two hundred seventy total yards and three passing touchdowns. The defense though two interceptions for Williams and Tufts forty-nine. Bowden zero. OJ Armstrong six receptions, one hundred forty-two yards, three touchdowns in that game guess what jb that is crunch time for week seven i'm trying to find a jingle to uh begin our next uh segment here because i, I you have taken my advice and named it jb's stat chat i, I this is kind of right. those like nba and tnt type uh, things where they've got you know the stat of the uh, night or something like that and all that or, or EJ stat of the uh, night. We we kind of get JB stat chat or something like that. You know, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll make it. We'll make it happen. But if one of us was like a musician or something who knew how to write songs. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, you're a musician? Supposedly. Uh, by the way, um, who's that beautiful woman that's uh, to your left, my uh, right on that uh, video? Yeah, that's my that's my wife Jen. We were uh, we were singing some duets at the uh, the new place in town, so uh, it was a fun fun Saturday night. Uh, and, but uh, yeah, band was band was getting out there again, and we'll be back at it in a couple weeks. Did they W in like uh, last time or no? <laughs> I don't think so. Let, let's talk about the stat chat. Notable offensive days. Um, I think you're missing one here, to be honest with you. Uh, the eight touchdowns. Amelia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Amelia should be the first one I'll on that, that list. Uh, hold, hold on. Yeah. I'm writing it in. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, it, though, it was my most scoring. Not morning. There's another thing I have to fix. Yeah. Sorry, it's okay. Gallaudet and uh, Westcott with 62 points. Endicott with 61. And Middlebury's uh, big win. Um, it, uh, oh, there it is again. Basically wins the NESCAC. You're apparently predicting again. And Randall yes. uh, from Gallaudet. Gallic from uh, Misericordia. Wilson from Lebanon Valley. And Griffin from Alfred. Rack up over 200 rush yards apiece. This is, you know, this is where running backs hit their groove a little bit, I, I think, in the season. Yeah. We see this, I think, every year where the 200 number starts getting eclipsed round and past the mid-season point these standouts start getting more carries because they've stepped up enough for their coaches to believe in them so they'll get more carries they won't get as much rotation out and you start riding the big boys uh, at this point the way that they are so i'm not going to be shocked to see me that a recurring theme over the next couple of weeks i think it's that and it's also i think you know your week seven the offensive lines have had you know that they've played as a group enough now where they're able to open you know open the holes that they're working well cohesively as a unit so yeah i mean um there weren't a ton of these games but there was you know what like five or so guys this weekend who had over 200 rushing yards definitely stood out then we have tenacious d's uh i'll let you take everybody through this one 
Well, yeah, we saw a lot of shutouts, um, including, you know, we mentioned before, you know, Ithaca, we saw uh, Mass Maritime, DelVal, a lot of just really stalwart defensive performances. Um, even uh, even Nichols, um, they they scored on a safety and on a pick six within like uh, less than 90 seconds apart um, in their game. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of uh, strong defensive performances. We thought we might have some more competitive games. Not so much. <laughs> a lot of a lot of one-sided one defensive affairs, and that's another thing that you see around week seven is that you know, the defensive units have gelled; they're playing well and uh, shutting down opposition uh, pretty pretty strongly there. Special teamers, uh, Hamilton's place kicker Sam Marine with that game-winning forty-yard field goal. But let's not take away the punt block that led to that whole situation in the first place. And the cop place kicker Nick DeCarano uh, with the forty-seven-yard field goal. Coast Guard place kicker Patrick Crowley forty-four-yard field goal, eighty-four-yard kickoff return by uh, Cortland's uh, Cole Burgess, and then the pump block uh, that followed it, mm -hmm. returned by uh, Dylan Studer uh, for the touchdown. Uh, Tamir Barksdale, 64-yard punt return for touchdown. Uh, Joe Ciampola uh, with the punt block return for a touchdown for TCNJ. That was the only scoring that TCNJ had. That's all they yeah. needed, 7-3 win, as you saw in crunch time. So, uh, you know, some standouts across the three facets of the game, indeed. Where do we go from here? Um, and so I think we need to go through the schedules and the standings and everything else at this point. Yeah to understand what's next. And first things first, so I want to make sure I can see you as we uh, do this as well. Hey, there you are, JBMI screen. Actually, let me put that back. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Union and Ithaca, we're going to start in the Liberty League, actually, uh, this go-around, because uh, this seems to be the clash coming up. And uh, if this continues, you and I are talking about maybe uh, heading out to uh, Ithaca for the Union-Ithaca showdown in Week 9 on November 2nd, my mother's birthday, actually. Uh, I at no. least I will get there uh, for if Union and Ithaca remain undefeated to that point, and I think that would take them to both eight zero at that point if it happens. Uh, RPI still has some say here. Buffalo State an outsider's chance at one and five, one and one. Congratulations on getting their first win of the season, by the way, against Rochester. Yeah. But obviously, Rochester beating them in a close game doesn't give me much confidence about Buffalo State. It is pretty much Union, Ithaca, and RPI with some say in what's going to happen. And this weekend, Union Buffalo State, Union could do a favor to everybody by making sure Buffalo State gets knocked off here. Uh, this is the first showdown between those two teams. I believe in my entire existence around Union football back to 1995. Okay, so that it's been a while that I can remember them playing each other. I might have played in the early night. I remember Hobart played against Buff State in '93, so it's possible there could have been some overlap back then. But it's been a long time, yeah, if ever. So, so uh, this would be one of their longest road trips. Union. That's a six-plus-hour road trip, I believe, for them from Schenectady to Buffalo State. Uh, RPI at St. Lawrence. Um, never trust that turf in St. Lawrence this time of the year. That's for sure, as it's getting a little bit colder up there in the North Country. And Ithaca yep. at Rochester, uh, probably not much to worry about in that game for Ithaca fans. We'll see what happens. So let's go to the Empire 8. Cortland 6-0. Speaking of Ithaca fans, uh, oh, we got a question from the Barstool of oh, yeah. uh, Ithaca. How far can they go in the playoffs? Apparently, they've already won the Liberty League, and so they're going to the playoffs, Frank. So <laughs> maybe, well, maybe you should cancel your plans to go up to the Union game. <laughs> 
Well, we'll just we'll make sure that uh, we address this in the what if scenario instead of the uh, definitive scenario, because Cortica may have something to say about this as well. And Britzigale does talk to us a little bit about what to expect there, uh, but though he doesn't talk much about it for obvious reasons. How far can they go? Look, the defense is playing lights out. You've got Joe Germanario doing well. The one thing I'm going to say is that the St. John Fisher game, which was almost a calamity for them in that second half, probably came at the right time. We've seen Germanario last year stutter in certain games and seemed to right the ship, but then didn't didn't fully. And maybe he was a little worn down uh, at the end of the season, maybe a little battered and injured as well uh, toward the end of the season. I don't know for sure, but my point here is that I think Joe, as he's matured as a quarterback and a leader of a team, has a better idea of how to avoid that situation from happening again. I'm sure after that game, he was as uh, you know, disappointed in himself as anybody was. And so yeah. I don't expect to see that again unless there's a really tight, tough game. Union could be one of those games where it's going to be tight and tough. Cortland's going to be a tight and tough game, uh, most likely. RPI, we'll see what happens. But then the first round of the playoffs, if they can go 10-0, they're going to probably get a walkover game, essentially. It's the second round yep. again that becomes the important question. And last year, I took a lot of flack for predicting a second-round exit by Brockport if they continued playing the way yeah, they yeah. were. And they exited yeah. in the second round, and we know what happened after that. Um, the second round is where things get really close in terms of the teams. Even the top-seeded teams in the East – the separation between them and the middle-seeded teams in the East are not as big as you would think. They are pretty close yeah. there by that point. So, the big can they go I two have. rounds? I think three rounds they probably could go if they really yeah. got past an opponent in the second round. I think what it'll boil down to, Frank, is going to be whether or not an East team is deemed by the committee good enough to warrant a number one seed. Right now, the top four are basically all Midwestern schools, some of the usual suspects, Mount Union, Whitewater, uh, St. John's, and uh, that Mary Harden Baylor. I think I've heard of them. Yeah, the yeah. defending national champions. So, so um, it, if so I think if an Ithaca team can go ten and zero with a win over what will probably be a top, potentially fifteen ranked uh, Cortland team. That could be good enough for the East to get its own pod, uh, you could say. Um, I'm sure the Johnnies or, or the Warhawk fans will be furious if that happens, but it wouldn't be unprecedented for a 10-0 East Region team that had you know, big wins over regionally ranked opponents to get that spot. And if Ithaca ends up being the top-ranked team in their bracket, a trip to the even the semifinals could be in the offering, possibly. So we'll see. Well, let me tell you something. If Brockport wins the conference, if Brockport wins the Empire 8, and Ithaca's in the mm -hmm. playoffs, you know darn well that in the second oh, yeah. round, at a minimum, they will be facing each other uh, in the bracket. There is no avoiding oh. it, okay? They're going to do it. They, they would love to do it in the first round, probably, to make it happen right there. But if the teams are like this, you know, in separation, yeah. they could do it. But if they're like this, they, you can't justify it in the first round. But the second round, at a minimum, It'll be Brockport-Ithaca if Brockport makes it through and wins the Empire 8. Now, if Cortland wins and Ithaca's in the playoffs, they're going to try to avoid that rematch for a couple rounds because Cortica would be Week 11, and seeing that quick of a turnaround on a rematch would not be 
what the NCAA would deem a good idea. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. There's a lot of what ifs to go on here. And so let's let's get closer to the end of the season before we really go to that level of things. Let's now go to the Empire Eight. Cortland, six and zero, three and zero. Brockport, five and one, two and zero. It's setting up because now Alfred has dropped the game, and then everybody else is two losses, one and two, one and two, one and two below them. And it's Utica, Brockport. Brockport can't take this game for granted because Utica played with them last season for sure. Yeah. Uh, in awesome. Utica, Hartwick at Alfred and Cortland at St. John Fisher. Instead of talking too much about this game coming up, we'll say go to our interview with Brett Sagala. That's coming up later in the week because we talk a lot about the St. John Fisher team and the fact that, you know, it's a Jekyll and Hyde team this season. We'll see which one comes out against Cortland. But that is the Empire 8. Next up, the NJAC. And uh, we kind of whispered about this a little bit, about those one-loss teams that are trailing Salisbury. Wesley's already been beaten by Salisbury. Montclair State plays Wesley this weekend. TCNJ, they're doing great defensively. It's the offense that needs to show up here for that team. And, you know, when you look at what their schedule looks like this coming week, you have TCNJ against Christopher Newport. They're going to have to step it up a little bit there because that CNU team's been all over yep. the map. Montclair State, as we said, against Wesley at Wesley this year. And Salisbury, Kane, Rowan, William Patterson, I, I don't see any surprises there. Montclair at Wesley... Interesting game. It's going to line up as a, an important game here because if Montclair can win it, then they still face Salisbury. If Wesley wins it, actually, do I have that right? Let's see. No, uh, Montclair's already played Salisbury, so they've both taken a loss. They're they fighting yeah. for their pool C lives because especially with um, two undefeated teams in the Liberty League, uh, two undefeated, well, I guess if, if um, yeah, if it, 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 Brockport technically has the loss against Hobart, but if they if they finish the season as the runner up, um, well, I guess with two losses, chances aren't that great. But Wesley's going to need some kind of uh, miracle almost to make the NCAA playoffs with how how uh, how tough the Pool C situation is. So they this is a must win game for them, uh, no matter how you you know they have to run the table from here on out to even have a chance, and they still that still may not even be good enough to make it. We'll see where it goes uh, from there. Uh, but Salisbury definitely in the driver's seat right now, as you said. Would you would you like to make your prediction one more time for everybody? Your 2019 NJAC champions, Salisbury University Seagulls. The Seagulls. Uh, so we'll see where it goes there. Uh, I, 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 I always avoid making bold predictions like that because certain things just you don't age well. As Justin McEwen has uh, taught me over time from Endicott. Yes. Let's look at the MAC. Um, you'll see right now that Delaware Valley is at five and zero, Misericordia at four and zero. Again, they do not play each other this season. We got to look at that tiebreaker sooner or later, we, and we will. Uh, six and one, Delval, Misericordia four and one overall. Wilkes at five and one, three and one. Stevenson at three and one. Lebanon Valley at three and one. Still sitting there waiting for somebody to make a mistake up top, but. The odds of both Delaware Valley and Misericordia dropping one right now are getting very low uh, as we get deeper into this season, heading into week eight at this point. So let's look at the schedule. Kings at Stevenson doesn't affect things there much. After you form at Lycoming, Lebanon Valley at Delaware uh, Valley. So here's a chance for Delaware Valley to take one of those one-loss teams out. Uh, Lebanon Valley's been playing some headstrong football, but inconsistently so at times. Widener at Albright and Wilkes at Misericordia. Another, there's a battle of one-loss teams. 
or uh, another uh, battle one loss team versus undefeated, excuse me, just like the DelVal situation. Can DelVal and Misericordia both make it out of these games against one loss conference teams to keep undefeated? That's the question at one o'clock across the board for the MAC that we'll be looking for. Is Misericordia really for real? If that running game keeps up here, James, I, I think suddenly it's a whole new world for them. And suddenly I've got more confidence in them. Yeah, I mean, we used to we used to kind of joke around. It was like the you know Brady uh, Brady Williams, the magician type field point of winning games on the last play. But if they if um, uh, Gallic or, or whatever the running back's name is, and you know, keeps yes. cranking out two hundred yard games, um, the Cougars are going to be a tough out. So I do think Wilkes has a has a good opportunity to pick themselves back up and potentially help tell Val with a with a win um but we'll see uh misericordia just keeps finding a way to win games whether it's you know williams throwing or or now apparently uh, uh Gallic's running um they they look like a good team ecfc um the best thing in some ways that could happen for the ecfc is Gallic to win uh the conference they only have three losses ultimately yeah. because everybody else is at four or five or six losses uh, Dean, again, is not eligible for the Pool A bid. We have uh, confirmed it with the manual. So this is definite now. Dean will not be in the yep. playoffs this year. So Gallaudet basically has a one-game lead on everybody who's eligible. But if Dean beats Gallaudet eventually, then suddenly they brought everybody back down to earth. Dean could be the champion of the ECFC, and we'll have a second-place team representing the ECFC in the playoffs, which is not exactly what I would call a best-case scenario for any conference with only six teams. Um Nope. SUNY Maritime uh, maybe back here. Uh, Anna Maria did not look good against Dean. Give Dean credit after getting kind of beaten down emotionally and physically in the season. They put it to Anna Maria in that game on Saturday. So what's next? Dean at Gallaudet. There it is. Circle it. Star it and everything else. And SUNY Maritime at Anna Maria. These are huge games for this conference. While the rest of the country may not give to you-know-whats at this point about it, these games matter for these teams. Uh, the game between SUNY Maritime and Anna Maria is now at 2 p.m. instead of 1 p.m. That was the original scheduled time. It was uh, moved to 2 p.m. just in case you planned on attending it. CCC. Not yes, 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 but CCC. It's Endicott. At 5-1, and one, Western New England at 5-1, and one, though, that's a little suspect because they played Stetson, as we keep reminding people, but both teams at 3-0 in conference, and that showdown is looming very large Nine. here. I, I don't think Nichols is going to have much say in this uh, situation, ultimately, unless somebody really trips up. But Endicott has to be careful of Husson, who is fresh off of what really is a surprising loss against the University of New England. West New England against yeah. Curry doesn't really give me much excitement. Salve Regina at Becker, no. Nichols at University of New England. We'll see if UNE can carry momentum for two yeah. games. But Endicott yeah. at Husson, that could be a real trap game for Endicott. They have to be careful there. Uh, this is not uh, yeah. a Becker-type scenario, guys. This is an honest. You don't know which Husson's showing up this year. So we'll see if it ages yeah. well. Uh, let's see. We've done the uh, CCC. We've done the ECFC. So that will put us to, oh, the new Mac. Wait a minute. I think we need to talk about the new, new Mac a little bit here. Springfield is not dead. And I know that Definitely surprises not. some people, but they are very much alive with three losses right now at three and one. They're going to need to get some help from Merchant Marine. 
obviously playing WPI this week in Worcester. If Merchant Marine's able to beat WPI, then suddenly we have the merry-go-round one loss scenario and yep. anything can start to happen there. MIT, though, sitting there with one loss as well at two and one. Early. So, you know, yep. Merchant Marine and Springfield have games in hand against WPI and MIT, depending on what happens this weekend, obviously. So yep. before we go to, you know, too much information here, we're going to talk about the Catholic Springfield game with our guests that uh, we'll have uh, in the interviews coming up here. Merchant Marine and WPI, we talked about MIT at Coast Guard is a big game as well. MIT is going yeah. to be fighting for their life in the conference. Coast Guard beats them. Then that takes away a little bit of the carnage atop that could be happening. Uh, Maine Maritime yeah. at Norwich. Eh, uh, you know, it, it, Norwich needs to win, obviously. We'll see where they go with that. But Springfield. Catholic is a team that can show up. We've seen it this season. They have not uh, converted into the win column. But we'll see where it goes. But they, it was a very positive win and performance by Springfield against Merchant Marine this weekend. First, we uh, talked about Tim Callahan, who had three touchdowns on the ground for Springfield. Uh, we saw the clip earlier of him running uh, down the field right past me. Talked to him about this season, especially the, the flow of the season, and whether or not Springfield is back in his mind. 45-34 victory for Springfield and Tim Callahan, three touchdowns say, let's read this, 154 yards it says here. Uh, I was here for a couple of them. You, you scored early and often before I even got here today. What, what was uh, your game flow here overall? It seemed like a lot of scoring early on and uh, things tailed off toward the end, but did you guys anticipate a shootout like this in this game? Yeah, you know, um, you know we just trusted the process, trusted our guys, and we, we always talk about hammering away at them and just doing everything we can. Um, hammered away and we were able to pop a couple um, you know just the offensive line you know I can't say enough about him just working there working every day and doing everything they can so does that include Nick Painter definitely Nick Painter yes he's uh he's quite the character and he's great great kid and it's I'm, great day we'll, we'll leave it at that uh, he's quite the character but uh, you know this team has had some adversity ups and downs we talked with Chad and uh, Nick a couple weeks ago when we were being serious for a minute about that but well, how does a win like this feel you know, it, it just felt like a long time coming, um, especially for the offense side of the ball. I really think that uh, we just came together and, like I said, just hammering away. And it was good to see some results. And uh, it was just good to see us come out and, and really just guide the way we did and do what we did. A lot of people were saying uh, Springfield was dead in the uh, playoff hunt in the new Mac. What do you say to them right now? I say, uh, hey, we're, we're, we're coming and we're going to keep going. We're going to finish the season as hard as we can. We're going to do everything we can and we're going to get, uh, we're going to, Get as many wins as we can. Tim Callahan, Jr., right? Yes, sir. No, that's a nightmare for the rest of the new Mac right <laughs> now. But uh, you get shout-outs here. So any family, friends, teammates that might be watching? Uh, Shout-out to my dad and my sister who are here right now. Um, you know, always supporting me, and let's just keep this thing going. Amen. 45-34. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks to Tim for that. Then we had A.J. Smith, who had 13 tackles, led the team. I think the next highest tackle number was six for Springfield. And Smith uh, had what he thought was an interception, but unfortunately was taken back from him. It, uh, Springfield did intercept the ball in the next play after the referees talked about the first one and waved it off. But A.J. Smith, a real team leader in defense right now for Springfield, and that defense needs to show up and not give up as many points as they did on Saturday because obviously uh, 34 points 
You need to be a little careful about that. You can't depend on Springfield to score 45 every week. But here's A.J. Yep. Smith. A.J. Smith, I believe uh, 13 tackles uh, on the afternoon is what they have you down for. And it's about 50-50 split between solo and assisted. So congratulations uh, today on that. 45-34 uh, victory. Uh, a lot of people will look at the score and say, oh, what defense. But you guys had to step up, especially toward the end of the game when it became an eight-point game. What were you telling the guys on the sideline when things got a little bit closer toward the end of this? You know, just rally up and just focus on the little things. And just together and just coming together, that's about it. I heard a lot of that on the sideline, a lot of together when I was uh, kind of in the mix of in things over there. When things were kind of coming apart, I heard that especially. Explain to folks what that means to the Springfield program. It, togetherness is just uh, one of our tra traditions, is brotherhood all together. That's one of our um, morals and values of the team because all of us together brotherhood strongest one so you come out of this game and i was talking uh, to tim callahan about just the the flow of the season it's, it looked like it was kind of a disastrous season starting out uh, to some people and now you guys are kind of right there uh, you know wpi obviously is sitting atop of things but you're still kind of knocking on the door here in the new mac you know catholic next what do people have to look forward to from Springfield? Has, has Springfield turned the corner here for the season? Um, I, I don't. I, it's a tough question because, like, I feel like we definitely have been moving in the right direction uh, from from the start of the season. But just one game at a time. We're not really focused on the end result. Just want to know each and every day. So next week, going against Catholic, just want to know. They say always used to say 0-0 oh, no, with one to go, uh, the next game up. So Catholic coming up, as you said, but before Catholic, you do get to give shout-outs to any family, friends, teammates that might be watching. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout-out to my family that came out today and just all my boys back home just watching the live stream. Sounds good. Congratulations. Thank you. And the man that's kept it all together, let's hear from him, Mike Sarazulo, the head coach of Springfield. How has he done it, essentially, is the question a lot of people have because th this team was dead in the water in a lot of people's minds. Not so much right now. Coach Mike Sarazulo, 45-34 victory over Merchant Marine Academy. That's a good team right here. Very good. No matter how much Toop tries to play things down at the beginning of the season, he's got a good team both run and pass-wise offensively, and that defense can step up. But your team came out hot early. Did you kind of plan on that? How did you look at this game and how to beat this team when yeah. you came into it? I, it was really important for us to, to start fast, and we always talk about that, and we haven't really done it. Uh, yet offensively this year and you know, we were kind of holding right around that uh, two score three score type thing and and today obviously they, they were able to get some things going and uh, offensively I thought we, we put some drives together we put two halves together so it was really good to see the execution step up and you know and then at critical times as well and then you know right before the half that was a, that was a big score so uh, we kept answering you know they came back and, and like you said uh, coach Toop does a great job and coach Kickle and coach Kroll a couple Springfield grads so yep. Uh, those kids play hard, they're coached well, and uh, it's, it's always a great atmosphere coming down here and, and playing them, so we appreciate the opportunity. You're, you could have lost your team in terms of uh, the way the season started off uh, in some ways. You really could have lost their focus and their attitude. How have you kept it together to the point where you guys really, you know, aside from WPI right now, you're still knocking on the door here yeah. for the New Mac. How did you keep it together with them? Yeah, I know every coach says it, but we got great kids, they're, and we got tremendous leadership at, at all four levels as far as you know the older kids the younger kids and and it means a lot to the kids and we always tell them that the scoreboard never defines who you are but you know they like to win so and they, they like to compete and they work really hard on and off the field so uh like i said i know everybody says it but we got we got good kids we're happy to have them on our side 
Catholics up next. Uh, you know, Coach Gut down there has had some close calls throughout the season, but they're still trying to find a signature win this season. Yeah. And why not Springfield? Yeah. I'm sure he's going to say to his team, how do you keep your team's focus? This is this is probably the perennial question yeah. that coaches get asked. How do you keep your team's focus in a game that, on paper, you should win, mm -hmm. but, you know, th they want something uh, next week uh, badly yeah. uh, probably to beat you. How do you keep it? Well, I think, like we tell our kids every week, is we should win every game. That's our mindset. So we want to just keep them focused on what they can control, and that's, you know, their, their attitude and their effort through the course of the week and preparing. And, and it's, it's never about the other team. It's always about us and how we're going to execute and, and how we're going to practice and if we're going to do our, our part to make sure that, that uh, you know, each guy does their, their job. Final question. Uh, Nick Boehner and Chad Shade are threatening to come down to Florida to uh, photobomb or video bomb our uh, postseason show when it uh, happens eventually. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom on uh, what we should or shouldn't do if they do come down? Good luck. <laughs> 45 34 victory today, coach. Thank you. Springfield, uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, is this team for real or is the jury out for you? No, I think they they definitely have turned the corner, and um, you know maybe they. Uh, it's probably an outside chance that that someone trips up WPI down the stretch. The engineers look really solid. They've been the number one rated team in New England um, pretty much since week two or three, and uh, I have a feeling that they're they're on a path to go ten and zero. But Springfield could still end up um, you know seven and three, uh, probably a New England bowl berth of some kind, and uh, you know finish the season with eight wins. So, heck of a job by Coach Sarasulo and the and the staff there at the Pride. Uh, they, like you said, they they're kind of back to life and and uh, they're going to give it a good run uh, down the stretch because anything's possible. Um, and it, all it takes is one trip up by WPI, and and all of a sudden all bets are off. We have a big head to head coming up in the MassCAC coming up here, WestCon, Framingham State. Okay, yeah. uh, we're going to talk about that game with our uh, guest, uh, Framingham State, coming up. Later in the week, as we said, but that matchup is coming up in Framingham State. Uh, you look at uh, certain numbers and you look at points for and points against in conference play this season for these two teams. Westcon points for 184 in those four games, just four games with 184, but 110 points against. Framingham State 177 points in four games. So again, no softballs there in terms of uh, the numbers that they've been putting up in 61 points against. So on paper, Framingham State seems to be the team to beat. But the problem here is that they did drop two games this season. Now, in retrospect, those two games might have been actually better opponents than we thought they were. And so this yeah. really does line up to be, I think, Framingham State as the favorite, despite the two losses. This is an unusual scenario yep. to say that. But being the home team and knowing one of those losses was a very good Brockport team and, you know, right off the first game of the season to a certain degree and look at their recent play, Framingham State's for real right now. Framingham State's two losses are to teams that are very possible conference champion slash playoff uh, participants. So um, in the rear view and, and as we were <laughs> reminded in our interview, um, Framingham didn't allow a offensive touchdown to Brockport in that game. The two the two scores that they had were on kind of uh, crazy back-to-back you know, -back, uh, pick sixes. Um, so that game could have easily gone the Rams' way as well. And, and their defense really seems to be keyed in. Adam Wojcicki, who struggled with some interceptions, I think, in, in week one and two, 
is uh, starting to turn the corner. And um, uh, Jacob Meyer, the big tight end, uh, you know, starting to, to you know, get get some more looks, get some more opportunities. And so, yeah, I agree. At home, Framingham is probably the favorite and um, should be a great game. Let's also point out that uh, Mass uh, Maritime plays Plymouth State, and uh, that's kind of to stay alive for Mass Maritime more than anything else. If somebody up top slips up, the winner of the uh, Westcon Framingham State game may lose still this season. It's possible. So um, Mass Maritime needs to sit there and wait to see what happens. Bridgewater State, I believe, is off this weekend. So yep. there is the MassCAC, and uh, I will let you say it again. Here comes the NESCAC at this point. And that uh, conference looks like it belongs to Middlebury because their last three games are against Bowdoin, Hamilton, and Tufts. But I will say this. If Hamilton plays the way they played against Amherst this past week, yeah. there's a chance. There's a chance. That is, that is probably the one, the one chance with, um, you know, uh, for teams like Williams that are hoping for an opportunity to, to get a, a share of the crown. But they got to um, lose way, twice, JB. They got to lose twice because Wesley and Williams are already beaten by them underneath them. So yeah. it would have to be yeah. Hamilton and one other. Hamilton and Tufts probably under that uh, circumstance. And even then, I'm not even sure how the tiebreakers would work if uh, everybody ended up at two losses ultimately. But we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Middlebury yeah, like is said, the favorite. Very dear champ. And uh, yeah, they're the favorite the rest of the way these last three weeks. Uh, Williams at Trinity could be a good game uh, on the the undercard, I guess, at this point. Hamilton at Tufts, yep. uh, there's kind of the heir apparent uh, game uh, because they both have to face Middlebury uh, coming up. And Wesley and Amherst could be an interesting game as well. But, hey, it's Middlebury at Bowdoin coming up Saturday. Probably not a game that might, many people will get excited by, but that's where it is. JB, as always, i let you take us out with your final thoughts on Week 7 as we line up for Week 8. Yeah, I think uh, what we saw in week seven was what we talked about last week. It was it was definitely a like a semifinal slash separation um, type of uh, type of weekend. Now we're starting to see games like Framingham and, and Westcon shaping up, which are sort of de facto uh, conference title games. There's going to be, be about four or five of them, I think, in week nine. The way the schedule is, is shaping up, um, so yeah, we're, we're getting down to we're getting down to the brass tacks here. You know, it's. it's kind of getting obvious who are the, the true contenders for each of these conferences to to make it into the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll have uh, hopefully Jim Casanero on the show in a couple weeks uh, to, to talk about how those brackets uh, come together. Uh, I think we're also going to be doing a little um, ECAC bowl reveal show uh, for the second year in a row, which will be fun. And um, so even though some teams that you know, this weekend and the following weekend may drop out of the NCAA playoffs. There's still going to be some postseason games to talk about ways to you know wrap up seasons and careers for um, for a lot of these players. So still a lot of football left to go, and it should be fun ride the rest of the way. We're just over the hour mark for this show, so let's uh, basically say goodbye for now. But we have player interviews coming up in the next uh, day or so uh, after this is dropped, and then on Friday our lightning live predictions coming up. But uh, you know we, we hope you enjoyed JV stat chat on this episode in crunch time and uh, all of our review of where the races are and aren't at this point in the nine conferences of the East region. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us.